Hi everyone, this is Nick Hopwood uh, from the University of Technology Sydney doing a podcast about music, ontology and epistemology. Uh, let's start with some music. Okay, uh, just to do some important acknowledgements there, that was the London Philharmonic Orchestra, London Symphony Orchestra, and Sir Adrian Bolt playing Elgar's Pomp and Circumstance, March number no. 1, which is Opus 39, and it's from an album from EMI Classics. So, okay, now I'm going to try and link this all to ontology and stuff. We could ask the question, a very simple question, what is this? What was that that you just heard? And I'm going to use different ways of thinking about what that question means and how it might be answered to help understand ontology and epistemology. One answer to this question would be to take a very scientific approach. And we could say that what you just heard was a series of simultaneous sounds of particular wavelengths, frequencies and other properties. So things like volume, how loud a sound is, can be measured in terms of decibels. Pitch, whether a note is low or high, can be measured in terms of frequency, how many oscillations of a particular wave there are in each second. Even the different sounds produced by different instruments in an orchestra can be observed and measured in a very scientific way. An oscilloscope produces a visual image of the shape of waves produced, and we could describe what you just heard in terms of some shapes produced by violins (coughs) and other shapes by trumpets, drums and so on. This kind of answer would be located within an ontology that says there is one reality and an epistemology that says knowledge is a question of the relationship to that reality between a particular claim and that reality. Either a claim is right or true. It corresponds with the reality that is out there. Or it's wrong, false, it doesn't correspond. This would be positivism. In this case, our answer to what is this would be an answer that's discovered. By that I mean the answer is 
understood to already exist. It's just up to us, as researchers, to find the answer. But we could look at this in a very different way. We could look at the musical score written by Elgar, which those of you who know has like a stave and lots of little black dots and lines telling you how long notes should be and how long they should last, and say that what we have heard was a set of musicians playing what was written on a sheet of music in front of them. Yes, but they weren't robots, and it's not quite as simple as it sounds. Elgar didn't include 100% of the information needed to produce what you just heard. For example, he gave guidances to the speed, he used an Italian term, allegro giocoso, but not a mathematical formula. So it was up to the conductor to interpret that guidance. I could find a different recording, and you can go on iTunes and do the same, that plays the same music, faster or slower. The same applies to the volume of the sound and its character or mood. One of the reasons why there are lots of different CDs, if you go on the iTunes store, that have different versions of the same piece of music is because it's played in different ways and some people like some ways more than others. And each musician is playing a slightly different instrument. No two violins are the same. No two trumpets are the same. No two musicians' fingers, arms, lips or movements are identical and they all affect the sound that's produced. And all the members of the orchestra use their musicianship to translate what's written on the page and their conductor's instructions into a sound on their musical instrument. Ah, so now we can start to change our ontology. We're seeing layers of interpretation and construction. In this sense, we see the reality of the music not as waiting to be discovered, but as something that was constructed by Elgar, the orchestra, the makers of the instruments, and the conductor. Our epistemology is changing too. Our knowledge isn't about getting to a single truth about what is this, discovering the right answer, but about constructing an answer, including and accepting levels of interpretation. This enables us to bring in dimensions of human experience that make it much more interesting, in my view. Some of you, when you listened, might have disliked it. You might even use the word noise to describe what I inflicted on you in the first couple of minutes. Others of you might have loved it. Some will have heard, by which I mean recognised, strings, woodwind, brass and percussion. Maybe even cellos, violas and violins. Others will have heard what they recognise to be an orchestra, but nothing more specific than that. Is it really that some of you are right and some of you are wrong? Is there only one reality there? Or did the social reality constructed by the orchestra then multiply when you listen to it? so that this could simultaneously be noise, an orchestra playing something or other, or a string section playing staccato notes in Elgar's Pompum Circumstance number 1. If we accept that social reality is constructed, then also reality can multiply. There can be lots of realities, and therefore lots of answers to questions about those realities, but not an infinite number of answers. There are some things that we couldn't reasonably say about what you heard at the beginning of this podcast. It's not a solo piece on didgeridoo. It's not one of J.S. Bach's Brandenburg concertos. And it wasn't played by the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. Just because our ontology and epistemology have opened up reality to be constructed and multiple doesn't mean that anything goes. We still care about the evidence. 
the sounds that we had there, the information that was on the CD sleeve or provided for you through iTunes. We can't make any claim about reality, even if we say that reality and knowledge are socially constructed. Something limits the claims we can make. And for me, as a social scientist, that something is often evidence. But other things like theories that enable us to make some interpretations and not others. And here there will be classical musical theory, for example, could help you suggest go further and say some things about what was played. It can get even more interesting. Stay with me. The part of the tune I played is famously British and is played in something called The Last Night of the Proms, which is an end-of-summer tradition in England. It involves lots of flag-waving and celebration of Britishness. So, I'm an Englishman, as you might have already told by my accent. This tune means something to me that it might not to other listeners. And... I play viola in an orchestra, and in fact, right now, in March 2013, I'm playing this piece with my local orchestra. So that tune and the piece has a whole load of connections for me and things that it means. This tune, this part of the tune, which is called The Land of Hope and Glory, is also often played in school graduation ceremonies in the US. So it has different associations for people who experienced it in that context. In Italy, it's known as Santa Chiesa di Dio, the Holy Church of God. So, we can see there are different connections, social significance and relevances made by different people to this piece of music. As we get interested in meaning, interpretation and significance, we have to accept that realities are therefore socially constructed, but also that there might be more than one of them. There is another layer potentially too, and this is a layer that problematises things. The piece was composed in 1901, At this time, there was something still called, at least by the British, the British Empire. What is now Australia was part of it. Many people would accept that the British have a lot to answer for in terms of their empire-building past. It's not ubiquitously celebrated as glorious and positively good by everybody. Some people might make connections between this piece of music and the tradition of the last night of the proms, present-day celebrations, of periods and acts in history that should not be celebrated. Would the description, land of hope and glory, be appropriate for the many people who suffered at the hands of the British in their empire? Let's quickly bring it back to research perspectives. Our answer that looks at frequencies and waves, measurement, is producing a single correct answer corresponding with a single reality, and we'd call that a positivist perspective. A post-positivist perspective might say that the things we use to measure volume and pitch don't directly measure those things, but give us a very, very good kind of best guess, and that this is close to realities we can get without directly being able to know something's volume, for example. Everything else beyond this that I've talked about accepts that the reality what you heard is a social construction. Ontology goes from one independent reality to potentially multiple socially constructed ones. After that, there are lots of different research perspectives that have different epistemologies. Interpretivists acknowledge that we influence what we find out about the world from the very way we pose the questions. So our knowledge is not independent of the people who are involved, researchers, in creating that knowledge. Critical researchers might go further, they might start from an ontology that sees reality as not only constructed, but unfair or unjust in its construction. They also then say that knowledge is often 
perpetuating those unfairnesses or injustices. They would then try to construct an answer that, to the question, what is this, that seeks to highlight that unfairness and maybe even do something about it. Now, I don't claim to have covered all different epistemologies and ontologies, and there might very well be limitations to how useful a musical metaphor like this is. But for me, when I listen to something like this, I think it's really interesting to think of the different ways of unpicking what it is that's a piece of classical music, or the same could be true of pop music, and what kind of assumptions we make about reality and knowledge that enable us to ask certain questions, to give certain answers, and to try and maybe even change the world in particular ways. I hope this has been useful. Uh, you can get a hold of me, uh, look at my blog, nickhop.wordpress.com. Thanks, everyone. Bye.